those who are watching on the live stream, hopefully you got back on. I forgot to hit the start the stream, so we are going now. Hopefully you found it. Again, just a reminder, you have that tear-off sheet in your bulletin, or if you're online, you can just do this in the comments. I want you to finish the sentence today, I am part of this church because. I'm part of this church because. Don't I don't want to put words in your mouth, but don't just think about like why you came here a long time ago. What's going on now? Or what are you looking forward to in the future? I'm a part of this church because. Let's begin with prayer as we uh, go to the word. Lord Jesus, we uh, come today and ask for your spirit to be poured out on us that we could have understanding. Father, your gifts are your Son and the Spirit. We receive them today. Let us see what you have for us in a new way, in a fresh way this morning, with new eyes. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So we're in our series as we go through Lent, and we're talking about the blood of Jesus. Last week, I mentioned that we do understand the importance of our own blood. Blood is one of those things that it's necessary for life. I protect my blood. Sometimes we give our blood. As we look forward to Easter, we're doing our part. We're hosting a blood drive. You know, my blood can save one person, maybe two. And what's so important, though, about Jesus' blood? I mean, I can understand why Jesus needs his blood. Jesus needs his blood the same reason I need my blood, to live. But what does Jesus say about his blood? Why does Jesus say, I need his blood to live? And so, through the season of Lent, we're going to be discovering the blood of Jesus. What he said about his blood, and also, starting next week, looking at the times that Jesus actually bled. And say, what does that mean for my life? Because as I said, my blood can save one person, Jesus' blood can save the world. We also started delving into last week the idea that our world has a twisted the importance of blood. Especially our culture. Blood is certainly related to life, and even in our culture, blood is related to eternal life. But when we think of blood and eternal life, people don't necessarily first think of Jesus. They may first think of a vampire. Dracula needs blood to have eternal life. There was, there's a movie called The Lost Boys. It came out in the 80s when I was in high school. And in California, that was really popular with us because the town, the fictional town that it takes place in is Santa Carla. The real place that it was filmed is Santa Cruz. So we knew every place in that movie. We had been there. Sometimes we watch that movie every weekend. So I'm going to show you a clip from the Lost Boys and our view of blood in our culture today. Chinese, good choice. Oh, here, yes, first. You know my friends? Tell me, Michael. I have a billion Chinese people being wrong. <laughs> 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 
reading mags, how do they taste? So we watch something like that and we think, drinking blood, pretty gross. But we're going to be in John chapter 6, 53 through 62, if you want to open up your Bibles or turn on your devices. And what Jesus says on the face of it is even more disgusting. I mean, let's, as we go to this passage today in John 6, try and listen and read with first-time ears. First time you've heard this story. You're not familiar with Christianity. John 6, starting verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, Does this offend you? Well, duh. (laughs) Yes. 
This is offensive. The video I just showed you should be a little offensive. What Jesus is saying here is offensive on a number of levels. Some of us are going to be offended this morning. Some of you may have already been offended. You might be offended by what you hear. You might be offended by what you see. You might be offended by what you understand. And here's Jesus' first offensive statement. I borrow life. I'm talking about me here. Me and you. I borrow life. Jesus said in verse 53, You do not have life in yourselves. Now, aside from the fact that we know because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and how he did it, we know Jesus can talk to dead people and they can hear him. But everybody listening to Jesus that day is obviously alive. And he tells them all, you have no life in you. So he's obviously not saying that none of them are alive. What's he saying? He's saying, none of us, none of us human beings, we have no capacity in us to generate life. We can put our genetic material together and make children, but you know, we don't actively do anything ourselves to make those live. There is no human being who is a, or especially not the, source of life. He's saying to us, you know what? All of you, me, just, we're all dying. And just to even slow our dying, we need all kinds of input. I need food. I need water. I need air. I need sleep. I need medicine. Why? To keep me from dying. I actually don't have a biological or chemical proof of why I can be alive. Only a spiritual one. That I've received God's breath of life. But I don't own that breath. Genesis 2.7 the, the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and then the man became a living being. Adam didn't own the life. He got, got it lent to him. Even just regular sustaining of everything in creation is by Jesus. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I couldn't even keep my body together without Jesus right now. We're all dying. You know, we think about this. Recently we had Valentine's Day. We give each other Roses. We give each other dying flowers as a symbol of romance. We put water in a vase and we put the little powder packet in there in order to give that rose an extension of life. But that flower has no roots. That flower is not connected to any plant. It has no soil. It's not doing any photosynthesis. That flower has no life. It's dying. We're just allowing it to die a little more slowly so we can enjoy it. 
And that's the offensive thing that Jesus is saying. He said, you're all dying. You know, we just recently went through Job. And Job realized this, Job 24, 22. He says, God drags away the mighty by his power. When he rises up, they have no assurance of life. Says, doesn't Job realize it doesn't matter how mighty a person is, they have no assurance of their life because no human being is the source of life. At the start, you know, Genesis two, sixteen and seventeen. The Lord God commanded man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Remember, there were two trees in the garden. One was the tree of life. Human beings could eat from that. It still says, that still tells us that the human being did not have life in him or herself. They had to go get it from God's tree. But instead of getting that life from God, they went and got from the tree of knowledge and good and evil and began to die because they no longer had access to that tree of life. And it's not just... Adam and Eve, it comes down to us. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We're all dying. So if we're all dying and we don't create life ourselves, where does life come from? There's a podcast and and series I'm looking at. It's called Evolution 2.0. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, These are scientists and and uh, yeah, mostly scientists, but different science fields. And they're realizing, these are people who are even challenging a lot of the current presuppositions in biology and, and chemistry. What their basic premise is, there's obviously more to life than we currently know in our sciences. Because if we already knew it all, we would have already invented artificial intelligence. If we could create life, we would have done it by now. We still haven't figured it out. And so the uh, the founder of the Evolution 2.0 prize, he basically, he's gotten investors, they've so far, the prize is up to $7 million. If somebody can figure out how to put chemical, you know, chemicals in a bathtub and it just comes alive, he says, we'll give you $7 million. And we get the patent. Because that's artificial intelligence. <laughs> he says, we haven't figured that out yet. So where does that life come from? Well, that's Jesus' second offensive statement that he says to the people. Jesus possesses eternal life. He says to them, you don't have it, I have it. He says, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those are among the things that I need to live. I need food, I need drink. And so, that's his second offensive statement. Jesus says, He and he only has within himself what people truly need to stay alive and grow and evolve. You can't find it anywhere else but him. Jesus is the source of life. John, in his gospel, mentions this many times. John 8.53, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. 
that doesn't necessarily sound very offensive to us. He's, maybe he was saying he was alive a long time before Abraham. But to the Jewish people, they got mad when he said that because he was making himself equal with God. The name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush, he, when Moses says, well, what name should I tell him, tell him that you are? And he says, I am. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Before Abraham was, I am. He says, I have existence within myself. And so in John 5, 26, he can say, Just as the Father has life in himself, so also he is granted to the Son to have life in himself. He says, I don't need anybody else to give me life. I just have it. And the disciples would later, later recognize this as he preached in Acts 3.15. They say of Jesus, You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Jesus is saying he's the source of life, and he's not just the source, he's the sustainer of life. John six fifty three. he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He says, I have life in myself, and I'm the one who can give it. When, uh, when I started doing youth work, uh, one time, one night, we were having a scavenger hunt around the school we were metering in. And kids were running around trying to find different things. But one of their clues said, said this. A pessimist would say it is emptier, but an optimist would say this. And they're running around. And so they're looking for like a glass of water, and all this stuff, they're looking all around. They couldn't find this clue. And one of our parents was just standing around there most of the evening, and they finally realized they weren't looking for a thing, they were looking for a person. His name was Glenn Fuller. Some people would say is emptier, but other people would say is this, Fuller. And finally they, they came up to him and they said, Are you clue number five? And he said, Yes. <laughs> he gave them their token. Too often people are looking for things rather than a person. I see commercials every night for a testosterone booster. Diet and exercise, that's good. Some kind of miracle drug. Or sometimes we are looking for a person, but we're not looking for the right person. If I just had that boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse... If I just had a physical relationship. If I just had a child. We need to recognize who Jesus is. Again, back to John. John 1, 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. John is saying Jesus is the one that points us to life. He goes on to say in John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. So Jesus points us to life, and he is the life. John 14.6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is saying, I'm the only life. I don't have life. Jesus is life. 
let's go back to biological science. You know, biology has had a problem for a while that they couldn't figure out for years, and it has to do with not just life, but how life works. They just figured this out in the last couple of years. So the second law of thermodynamics, if you remember your high school chemistry or biology. Second law of thermodynamics is called entropy. It's the process that everything in every system in our universe takes energy. And eventually all the energy in a system will be used up. So that over time, systems are getting less and less complex till everything's just at rest. Everything's getting simpler. Everything's running down. That's the second law of thermodynamics. But life doesn't work that way. Life builds complex systems. And so biologists had no idea how, how living things worked against the second law of thermodynamics. And they found the, the answer just recently in chemistry. Chemistry has already merged with physics. Now biology is merging with chemistry because they found a thing called a chemical fountain that living things do. So you know how a fountain works. You put water in and it goes out the top and then it cycles around. So here's, here's what a chemical fountain is. Living things, if they can find a source of energy, bring that in, and they use it to start making things. And as long as they can keep getting energy, the system will make itself more complex and more efficient. Living things can do that, even though it goes against what the law of thermodynamics is. They will keep taking energy and get more complex. So if I'm going to live, I need an infusion of energy for my system to work. Okay, this is biological science. <laughs> okay, This is not some spiritual thing. This is what biology says. In order for us to be alive, we need infusion of energy, and then we will grow. But I don't have life. Jesus has life. How do I get the life from Jesus into me so I can live? And that's what Jesus is talking about mostly in this passage that he says repeatedly. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. The one who eats me will live forever. This is our third offensive statement. Jesus' blood transfers life. Jesus' blood transfers life. Very offensive at the time when he said this. An Israelite would not eat blood. Not even animal blood. Certainly not human blood. Or eat human flesh. Both those things would make a person unclean. But this wasn't just unique to Israelites. Most other people's even though they might not have a problem with having blood in their animal that they were going to eat, or even if it was cooked out, nobody would consume a human being or drink human blood. 
That would just be considered disgusting. And so while today we read this, if you look at it with new eyes and say, yeah, that's gross, eating a human being and drinking a human being's blood. For them it just wasn't gross. It was a spiritual thing. This makes me spiritually unclean before my God and it makes me just a morally unclean person to do this. I don't eat people. I don't drink people's blood. And so early Christians were sometimes thought to be cannibals because of people who didn't understand this symbolism. The Romans accused the Christians of being cannibals. And in fact, there's one story where they confuse the birth of Jesus story with the Lord's table. They said, this is, this is what they thought happened. An infant is covered over with meal, with bread, so that they can deceive anyone who doesn't know what's going on. And it's placed before them to be stained with their rights. So the infant is slain. And then they eat the baby and drink its blood. That's what they thought the Lord's table was. Until they actually came and saw it and realized, oh no, they're just eating bread and drinking wine. Augustine refuted this. He, he, said, he said, listen to this, he says, Christ cannot be chewed, digested, and excreted. He says, come on, think about this logically. If we're actually consuming the body of Christ, do we also poop out the body of Christ? No, he says, that's absurd. It's obviously a symbol. You think about this. I mean, we, we read about Nicodemus earlier, and Jesus says, you must be born again. He's talking symbolically. When he goes to the woman at the well, and he says, I have living water. He's talking symbolically. This is, Jesus had multiple opportunities to actually have people drink his blood, and he never does it, right? We never, we don't have any account of Jesus cutting himself and saying to his disciples, here, drink my blood. Here's a pound of flesh. Jesus is not on the cross bleeding and saying, now I'm bleeding, please come drink my blood. He never invites people to literally drink his blood. So as a symbol then, there is no reason for the communion elements to think that they are transformed into the literal body and blood of Christ. I can just drink it. It's, in this case, juice. It can be a symbol. And also as a symbol, there was also be no reason why we'd have to use fermented wine over juice. They're both blood-colored, and they are both the fruit of the vine. Okay, Jesus never meant this to be literally. You know, going back to the law, Deuteronomy 32:39, God says, "See now that I alone am He. There is no God but Me. I bring death, and I give." Life. I wound and I heal. No one can rescue anyone from my power. 
And this is also the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 37, 14. God says, I will put my spirit in you, transfusion, and you will live. I will settle you in your land, then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. What is he saying here? As we ingest food and drink, that keeps me alive and growing and evolving. I need to take Jesus into my life, which is done by faith, not teeth. And he, being real food and drink, will keep me alive and growing and evolving both physically and spiritually. That's why when we take communion, we say the words, feed on him in your heart by faith. It's a blood transfusion, only spiritual. Jesus doesn't want to start a chemical fountain in us. He wants to start a spiritual one. We're going to sing after the sermon, There is a Fountain. And Paul got me thinking about this song when we picked it. And he says, you know what? This song's actually pretty... I don't remember the exact words you used. Pretty graphic. And I said, yeah. I mean, we're going to sing this. And we sing this without... Sometimes thinking about it. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Could you imagine if you came to church for the first time? They're singing about a fountain filled with blood that came out of somebody's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. Oh, I'm going to get in it. Lose all their guilty stains. Ever since by faith I saw the stream. Oh, now it's a stream of blood. Thy flowing wound supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Wow. We're a bloody mess. <laughs> that was written by uh, William Cooper. William Cooper was subject to depression a lot of his life. He, unfortunately, his early teaching that he got in Christianity had him thinking that he was uh, he was preordained by God to be damned. And I don't know what any other mental things might have been wrong, but that certainly didn't help his depression, let me put it that way. But he was a great considered a great poet of the time, and how he in part, came out of his depression. He had a doctor, a Christian doctor named Dr. Cotton, lifelong friendship with uh, Miss Unwin, and his pastor became John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. And under the care of these three people, he found the full realization of God's favor, and they were the happiest, most lucid periods of his life. He found the fountain filled with blood. See, we have assurance, one, of a resurrection through the blood of Jesus. John 5, 21. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he wants. 
John 6.40 This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And 1 John 5.12 The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Simple as that. Jesus assures us of resurrection. And there's another thing about it. It's not just a future hope. It's also this idea of abiding, being inside. God in me and me in God. Becoming that which we consume. John 15, 4-6, Jesus puts it this way, using again another symbol, the vine and the branches. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. It's this idea of not just a hope for the future, but Jesus is going to continually keep us alive. We're going to remain with God. John also puts it this way in John seventeen twenty and 21 as he's praying for his disciples and us. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. It's this idea of not just transfusing the life of Jesus, but being one with Jesus. I have no life in me, but Jesus is life, and he offers me life by faith. We're going to watch one more video clip from Interview with a Vampire. This one is worse than the first.
Okay, we can stop that there. To become... I mean, this is going to be hard to take right before communion, right? (laughs) To become an eternally living child of the night, the vampire kills me, and I drink the vampire's blood. To become an eternally living child of light, Jesus lets me kill him. And then I symbolically drink the blood of Jesus. Jesus lets me kill him. Let's pray. From Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow my foot to slip. He, my protector, will never sleep on the job. The Lord is my protection and my shelter right by my side. He will protect me from the heat of the day and the cold of night. He will protect me from all harm. He protects my life now and forever. Lord Jesus, I know I have no life in of myself. It is only by your grace that I am sustained even this moment. But I thank you that you offer your blood so that I may live forever. Not as a creature, but as a new creation. Not as, not by doing something grotesque, but by believing earnestly in faith. So today, as we Remember your sacrifice by your blood today. We just ask that you move in us in a special way like it was the first time and make us new. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.